Gather round, take a seat, relax. It's the Fabringen with Rabbi Levi Afton, right here on 101.9 High FM. This is 101.9 High FM. My name is Rabbi Levi Afton of Linksfield Show, and you're listening live <clears throat> to uh, the Fabringen Show. And here we are on the 17th of October, the second day of the month of Cheshvan, um, 11 days into the war. And want to share some thoughts, want to share some music. We chose today is beautiful Israeli music that was a, a relatively new song from Hanan Ben-Ari, one of my my favorite artists in Israel. It's called Atalefi Ver, magnificent, magnificent song. And we have some other songs throughout the show as well. I want to start by reading uh, uh, my own, just like reading something I wrote up um, at the end of last week, just to put my own thoughts on paper. Um, I've had, obviously have, a, we all have a lot more thoughts than this. And it just like helped me in my own mind crystallize what I'm feeling and thinking at this time. Um, it ended up being 18 ideas. It could have been 180. It could have been eight. It just ended up that way. Um, I would love your thoughts. Three, four, five, one, nine. I hope some of the thoughts resonate. If they don't, it's all good. Here are 18 thoughts that I've had on the past, on the events of the past few days. So before we start, um, I think that uh, there's the tachlis, the last point, the final point. And it's not one of the 18 points, it's just a fact. And that is that ultimately we need redemption. We need Mashiach. And please God, um, we ask till when? Till when will we have to languish in this very complex world, in this imperfect world, in a world where terror happens and then so many people support the terror and so many people deny the terror? You know, one of the big realizations this week was we often wondered how people could deny the Holocaust. And then you see something live streamed by the terrorist itself coming and saying, look, this is what we're doing. And people are saying, that's fake. It's not real. And it's always those people who claim that one crime didn't happen and want to do another crime. See, Iran claims the Holocaust didn't happen, but they want to do a Holocaust to Israel. So you have to, the second somebody says a crime didn't happen, in this kind of scenario, you have to wonder what's their agenda. Anyway, point one. Point one is goodness is real. See everything that's happening in Israel this past week and a half. So much goodness in the hearts of the people of Israel and all over the world. We're a nation of goodness, compassion, and unity. We lose our way at times, but we always come back to our founding values. In such a dark week, let us remember that our light is so much more powerful and eternal than the darkness of the haters. Point two, we are one. We are one. We beat with one heart, one past, one destiny, one family. We must never forget it. Otherwise, the anti-Semite will unfortunately remind us. We are one soul split into many parts. But ultimately, we are one nation, and we care for each other so deeply. Even if we fundamentally disagree on so many things, 
we care for each other. We're a family. We all started off from one family, Abraham and Sarah, Avram and Sarah. Point three, we need to figure out how to live together, not just how to die and fight together. And in that sense, I think the South African jury has a lot to teach the Jewish world how to get along and stay united. We do it beautifully. We obviously struggle for our unity, but without a question, this is the most united and together community in the world in so many levels, from infrastructure to organizations to leadership. We hold it together. And the Jewish world and the world in general has a lot to learn from our small community. We often talk about our community as a dwindling community. That's pretty patronizing if that's the only definition of our community is that we're dwindling. We're a lot more than that. A lot more than that. And I believe one of the greatest tragedies to the Jewish world is if the South African Jewish community eventually dwindled too much. Every family that leaves us is not just a family that leaves. It's a little crack in the fabric of the most amazing Jewish community, I believe, on earth. Point four. The enemy is not within. It's without. In other words, your enemy is not your sister-in-law that you don't like. Or the school that you have an issue with. Or your neighbor. Let go of variables, of petty fights. We're not each other's enemy. We don't have to like one another, but we need to love one another. We are one. Remember? Point five. Antisemitism is real. Some people hate Jews for no reason. They might have excuses to justify their hatred. Don't be fooled. They hate us, plain and simple. Anti-Semites always have reasons for why the Jew deserves hatred. Throughout history, they've come up with very complex and often contradictory reasons for why they hate the Jew. The Jew is too powerful. The Jew is too weak. The Jew is too similar to us. He's too different than us. If only those haters were honest about their hatred and bloodlust, instead of cloaking it in anti-Zionism and victimhood solidarity, at least they would be given the title of being honest. As Rabbi Sachs wrote in his book, Future Tense, what is antisemitism? It is less a doctrine of, or set of beliefs than a series of contradictions. In the past, Jews were hated because they were rich and because they were poor, because they were capitalists and because they were communists, because they kept to themselves and because they infiltrated everywhere, because they held tenaciously to a superstitious faith and because they were rootless cosmopolitans who believed nothing. The best way to understand anti-Semitism, said Rabbi Sachs, is to see it as a virus. Viruses attack the human body, but the body itself has an immensely sophisticated defense, the human immune system. How then do viruses survive and flourish? By mutating. And what we're witnessing now is just another mutation of that age-old hatred, the oldest hatred on earth. And the most damaging, right? The world is full of a lot of phobias, people hating different nations. But there's no question that the single most damaging hatred ideology on earth ever 
and longest lasting is anti-Semitism, the least spoken about. Point six. What happened on October 7th had nothing to do with occupation, had nothing to do with settlements, has nothing to do with right-wingers or left-wingers. It was Jew hatred. See the Hamas charter. They don't even try to hide their agenda. When the haters try to move the conversation towards the Israeli-Palestinian issue, move it right back to Hitler, pogroms, ISIS, Amalek. Or better yet, walk away. You're wasting your time talking to someone who wants you dead. Point seven. At the same time, however, we must never forget Israel is our land, not because of the Balfour Declaration, not because of the UN Partition Plan, not even because of Herzl's vision. It's ours because God gave it to the Jewish people as an everlasting inheritance. It belongs to each and every one of us. We are not occupiers. We are not colonialists. We're the indigenous people of this land. No other country has more moral legitimacy than Israel has to Jews. It was given to us by God. Which other country can claim that? Yes, Israel must take care of every citizen, Jew and Gentile alike, but we must never forget the basic premise of Israel. It is the land given to Israel, who's Israel, the Jewish people, by the creator of heaven and earth. This land is my land, this land is your land, and nobody has a right to delegitimize it, and nobody has a right to try to remove us from this land. My name is Rabbi Levi Avtson. This is 101.9 High FM. This is the Fabringen with Rabbi Levi Avtson on 101.9 High FM. This is 101.9 High FM. My name is Rabbi Levi Avtson of Linksfield Shul. And just sharing some points that I put together, some thoughts on the current events, specifically in our Holy Land. And on point seven that I read just before the break, I spoke about Israel's our land, not because of the Balfour Declaration, but because read the Bible, the best-selling book in history, the truest book in history, God's Word. And how many times? Numerous times. I will give you this land. I will give you this land. That, right? The whole story of the Bible, the whole story of the Chumash, the, the, the biggest narrative. There are many stories, but the biggest narrative that covers... A substantial amount of the book is the Jewish people leaving Egypt and getting and heading where? To their land, to the Holy Land. Now, the Bible starts with the verse, in the beginning God created heaven and earth, right? Or in the beginning of God's creation of the heavens and earth. Now, Rashi, the foremost commentary on that, on the Torah and on the Talmud, by the way, comes and explains why the Torah, which technically is a book of laws, 613 mitzvot, laws, begins the first quarter of the book, if not longer, with a story. There's very few mitzvot, if any, um, in the first book of Genesis, a book of Breshit. So he quotes Rabbi Yitzchak, who asks the question, seemingly it was not necessary to begin the Torah with the beginning God created heaven and earth. He should have started it in the book of Exodus, in the third parsha in the book of Exodus, of Shemot and Ba, where we learn the first mitzvah the Jewish people were taught as a nation, and that was the Jewish calendar. Because the main purpose of the Torah is its commandments. And although several commandments are found in the first book in Genesis, circumcision and the prohibition of eating the, the sinew, the thigh sinew, 
They could have been included in the other commandments. Fundamentally, 99% of the first book is story, not law. For what reason does the Torah begin with the words in the beginning and then go on for so long with stories of Adam and Noah and Avram and Sarah and Yitzchak and Rivka and Yaakov and his wives and the 12 tribes and Joseph and the, and the slavery. So he said like this, for there will come a time if the nations of the world will say to Israel, you are robbers. You conquered by force the lands of the seven nations of Canaan. Right? When the Jewish people arrived with Joshua after Moses' death, they arrived in Israel, there were other people living there. So people will come and say, you conquered the land of other people. And in modern context, they'll say, there were other people there. Palestinians were there. First of all, we never left. And we've been there for 3,000 years. But also our reply will be, says Rashi, Look at the Torah. The entire earth belongs to God. That's why we start off in the beginning. God created heaven and earth. He created it. That we learn from the story of creation. He gave it to whoever he deemed proper when he wished. He gave it to them. And when he wished, he took it away from them and gave it to us. So the, a quarter of the Torah is there to tell us one basic truth. When one day the world is going to challenge us, what right do you have to the Holy Land? We'll say, read the Bible. God gave it to other people, but then he gave it to us. And it's ours forever. Nachlas oilam la'am oilam. An eternal inheritance. An eternal possession to an eternal people. Point eight. Some people are pure evil. Many modern people would like to believe that evil's not real. And that's why they'll always excuse it. If they behave like that, they'll say, then there must be a reason as if there's a reason good enough to create monsters who murder babies. Let's be honest, a human being has the potential for incredible heights, and as is quite obvious, incredible depravity. Hence the Midrash says, the ancient Jewish text, how do you deal with evil? He who has compassion for the evil person will end up doing evil for those who deserve compassion. And when you see nations and people that have compassion for evil, it never ends up that way. They end up doing quite evil to those who deserve compassion. Point nine. Poverty and oppression does not lead to terrorism. See the Jewish people for reference. Those poor people had no hope, so they raped and killed is how people will explain it. Rubbish. And most terrorists aren't poor anyway. Read up on the terrorists of 9-11 who were mostly middle-class Saudis. Hatred and violent ideologies lead to terror, not poverty. And by the way, I was just reading an article before the show. Most of Hamas's leadership doesn't even live in Gaza. They're living very high-level quality lives in Qatar and other places. Believe me, they're not doing this out of poverty. They're enjoying their lives in Qatar. They just have an ideology of terror. Stop excusing away evil. Morality, being a moral person, means you can differentiate between good and evil, something that many people seem unwilling to do. Shame on them. Hitler would be proud of these apologists. Point 10. We must create deterrence. If Israel retaliates, 
then the cycle of violence will never stop, say all the phony peace lovers. And if Israel doesn't retaliate, it will be a million times worse. Hezbollah, Iran, are already smelling weakness from a million miles away. And sorry, what does the cycle of violence mean anyway? That one side should just turn the cheek forever? So that violence stops? Oh, they should give it back land. Well, that's what they did to Gaza. I was in Israel in 2005. I was living there in August when Israel forcefully removed 10,000 Jews out of Gaza and made it Judenrein and gave the Palestinians an, a state of their own in Gaza. Then the Palestinians elected Hamas in their elections. And then Hamas started sending terror attacks to Israel. What was Israel supposed to do? Stop the cycle of violence. How patronizing. If you don't stand up, and if you don't create deterrence, it creates more violence. Ask any bully on the playground. They are waiting for weakness so that they could prey even more on the victim. We must frighten the bully from ever daring to prey on anyone again. That is how you you stop the so-called cycle of violence. Nobody likes violence. But if anyone can tell the Jew, turn the other cheek, and that's how you're going to bring peace. Oh my gosh, there's nothing more infuriating than having the world preach to the Jew how to protect Jewish blood. Gosh, I don't get angry often, but that's one thing. When I have, when I hear these people coming and telling the Jew, oh, don't worry, we want to stop the cycle of violence. Really? Let's be honest, no good person wants to see innocents die in Gaza. And I'm certain that Israel is not intentionally harming innocents. But Israel must win this war. It has an obligation to protect the 10 million people that live in its country, Jew and non-Jew alike. That is the moral thing to do. And Jewish blood must never be cheap in the eyes of the world. We've had Jewish blood cheap for millennia. It didn't work out well for us. Go study history. You really don't need a professorship in history to see what happened. Jews should be awed and feared. Many Jews like to be loved and patted on the back by the world. It's sweet. And we do have many friends and admirers. Thank you. But in terms of those who want to destroy us, they must be petrified to start up with a Jew. Right? All the pogroms. They were never afraid of the Jew. They knew they could just rampage the Jew without any anyone standing up against them. They must be terrified of laying a finger on a Jew. They should be afraid to wave a Hamas flag. Point 12. We have some very real friends, which is so heartwarming. We saw it Sunday. We see it all over the world. I think one of the most eloquent defenders of Israel has been a non-Jewish Englishman, Douglas Murray. I encourage you to watch some of his stuff. Incredible and eloquent and just good, good man. And we say thank you. Thank you to our non-Jewish friends who have the courage to stand with us and for us. The Jewish people have a long memory. We will remember. Page Point 13. As mentioned earlier, there's real evil in this world. The human being could become an angel or the devil. And this is a stark reminder about the capacity the human being has to evolve into an angel or or a monster. As Viktor Frankl put it, our generation is realistic, for we have come to know man as he really is. 
After all, man is that being who invented the gas chambers of Auschwitz. However, he is also the being who entered those gas chambers upright with the Lord's Prayer of Shema Yisrael on his lips. End quote. And hence, what's my point? Point 13, educating people with good values and inculcating kindness into societies are infinitely more important than teaching them geometry. When we refer to the importance of education, let us remember what that means to raise decent, kind, moral people. Yes, they need skills, but education should stop meaning automatically a university education. University teaches you skills to make a living. But rarely do universities teach morality, which leads to point 14. Smart people can be very stupid. Did you see the story about 33 students or student organizations at Harvard University blaming Israel for Hamas brutally murdering, mutilating, and kidnapping citizens, men, women, and children? To get into Harvard, obviously, you need to be smart. But having common sense, a moral compass, and a drop of wisdom is quite obviously not a prerequisite. Now, being smart is genetic. Some people have better IQs than others. Wisdom and morality, however, is not genetic. It needs to be taught. Make sure your kids are wise and moral. Stop spending so much time on making sure they're smart. Oh, but how are they going to earn a living? They'll figure it out. I'm not saying don't get them an education of skills. It's important. The Talmud says it's an obligation. But your single most important obligation as a parent is not to raise someone who can make a living. It's someone to raise someone who will be decent. And we, we often forget that. We often forget that our single obligation is to raise moral people. To create people who can see right from wrong. People who don't get fooled by the nonsense. Point 15. Terror's strength is in, its, in the fear it brings into people's heart and affects their way of life. In my opinion, one of the most, if not the most successful terrorist of all time was a guy named Richard Reed. On 22 December 2001, literally two months after 9-11, Reed boarded American Airlines Flight 61 between Paris and Miami. Some of the older listeners will remember this. Wearing shoes packed with explosives, which he unsuccessfully tried to de detonate. He was subdued by passengers. Seems like a failure of terror, right? Well, 20 years later, you still have to take your shoes off whenever you go on security on every flight to the U.S. So this failed attempt is still affecting travel for millions of people daily, weekly, 22 years later. Think about how much money was spent on bringing security up to scratch. How many people lost their flights historically in the last 20 years because of everyone having to take off their shoes? Or how about take, you, you can't even buy a bottle of water and take it on the plane? Because who knows? Now, people will say that's legitimate. It's a legitimate fear, fear point. But the point is, that's the power of terrorism. It makes one afraid of everything. So my point, don't let them win. Stand strong and fight the fear. How did FDR say it? The only thing we have to fear is fear itself. Don't give the terrorist what they want. 
This is one of one point nine high FM. This is the Fabringen with Rabbi Levi Afton on one oh one point nine high FM. That was the beautiful music of Ayal Galan. Still three points to get through on this war. This is more a message for us inside the community. Don't justify the war by blaming ourselves for what happened. Here are many people rushing to say, we behaved badly, therefore it happened. The Talmud teaches us, Al-Tiftach Pela Satan. Don't open the mouth for the Satan. In other words, don't give him more ideas. Don't talk negatively about Jews, especially in times when it's a time of suffering and darkness for the Jewish people. Words have power, huge power. Don't talk negatively about one another. And let's be clear, nothing justifies that Holocaust that happened on Israeli soil on October 7th, Simchat Torah. Which also means don't feel the need to walk around serving as God's so-called defense attorney. Oh, this is why God did it. God was trying to teach us a lesson. As I've told many people who've approached me with such ideas, did God show up to you last night? Did he tell you why he did it? So before you sit there going and explaining why God does stuff, let's have a little humility. None of us know. And even if you fundamentally believe it to be true, many of the victims haven't even been buried yet. You're already justifying it? You're already explaining it? Why? Why do you feel the need? Why do people often feel the need to make sense of the unsensible? Why do they feel need to explain God away? You want to learn your own lesson. You want to strengthen yourself in your own character growth in your own Judaism. Obviously, that's a good thing. But before you sit there saying, this is why it happened. This is the message God is teaching us. I think we have to be very careful. Forgive for me for a drop of humor in this, but as they say, if you talk to God, you're religious. But if God talks to you, you're mad. Our job is to cry out Hashem. That's no longer a joke. Enough. After thousands of years of persecution, have we not had enough of our share? Our fair share? Enough. Stop it. You're our father. Show us love. That's our obligation. Our obligation right now is to prosecute. And call out to Hashem, Admatai, till when? Not to justify. I'll be back in just a moment. This is 101.9 Chai FM. This is the Fabringen with Rabbi Levi Avton on 101.9 Chai FM. My final two points. It's probably the most important points. Point 17. Fight darkness with light. Say to Hillam, light Shabbos candles. Put on tefillin. Be an agent of light. The world lost a lot of light 11 days ago on that Shabbos. We need to bring it back a million fold over. One candle can brighten a large dark room. Light will win against darkness every time. See Jewish history for more details. So yes, we must fight against the evil in a very physical sense and eradicate it. But much or as powerfully, if not more powerfully, you fight darkness with light. It's interesting. When someone passes away, we say the Kaddish. May God's name become great. It's a very interesting prayer to say when you lost a loved one. 
And our commentaries explain the reason we say Kaddish when someone passes away is because every person that passes away, which was a representative of God in this world, we're all ambassadors of God in this world, a drop of godliness was diminished. Another person passed away. So we say Kaddish to almost give the power back to make God's light in this world great again after this loss. That's why we say Kaddish. How much more so when over 1,300 Jews died, 1,300 good, decent people died 11 days ago. How much light was diminished from this world? A tremendous amount. And how much light has to come back into this world? A tremendous amount. So add light. And my final point to my fellow Jews, don't be embarrassed of who you are. Wear your Magen David proudly. If you're not the kind of person that wears a Yami usually, wear a Yami more often. Not necessarily from a religious point, but from a pride point. You're on an airplane, put on to fill in publicly. You and I are part of the most incredible story of humankind. Be proud of your heritage and destiny. Don't wait for the Hamas Nazi to remind you who you are. My name is Rabbi Levi Aftson. Signing off now, this show on the Tuesday the 17th. And I want to play a final song in Hebrew. Beautiful song came out a few weeks ago. Lolavad, We Are Never Alone, sung by Omer Adam and Avi Valush, wishing all of us a week of good news, a week of comfort. May we share much better insights, or rather insights of, that come from goodness, not from witnessing evil. May we stand there for each other. May all good people of this world get to witness the happy ending of all this with the coming of Mashiach speedily. Have a great day. Have a great week. God bless you all.